0: Unashamed, the recovery podcast. Hey, recovery fam. Welcome to another episode of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Drew.
1: I'm Drew. I'm your host,
0: Josh that's drew josh
2: is confused let's just meet today's guest
0: and hello recovery family welcome to another episode of the unashamed
2: recovery podcast where it's okay to not be okay and where we're breaking the shame of uh and stigma of addiction uh and recovery and sobriety just by sharing real stories uh of real people who have been in addiction uh, and how they have they come up and through their struggle of addiction
0: on today's episode, we're going from
2: backpacks to the birds. Oh yeah, we have yet another amazing story to share uh, with you guys today. Our guest, he's no stranger to hopelessness, homelessness, addiction, and rock bottom. But on the flip side, he's no stranger to sobriety, recovery, freedom, and sharing hope. Today's guest is a native of Joplin, and but current resident of South Haven, Mississippi. He's one of the Mississippi State Reps for Celebrate Recovery. Area Vice President for Verteva Health, a national behavioral healthcare system for mental health and substance, uh, substance use conditions. Founder of the Hope Center Community of North Mississippi. And he is the author of the brand new book from the
0: From Backpack to the Burbs about one man's epic journey from the pit to the palace, welcome Mr. Stacy Dodd. Thank you. Thank you. And Mrs. Stacy, I know that was quite the uh, intro. Uh, is there anything that we might have missed or left out or anything else that you want to add to that? No, sir. <laughs> All right. Mm. Well, we got a, a lot to dissect and to unpack on today's episode. Uh, but we're trying something different for today's episode. We, Is just coming out of the backpack, though? Backpack to the burbs. Hey. unpacking hey. the backpack. Hey. I like that. <laughs> but uh, we're going to try something different, and we're going to kind of do a little bit of an icebreaker for all of our listeners out there. We're going to kind of just uh, answer ask uh, Stacy some very off-the-wall questions to kind of let you all get to know him a little bit better. Uh, Stacy, number one, what's something weird that you're good at? Rock hunting. Rock hunting.
1: Interesting. <laughs> They're actually artifacts, but okay. you would call them rocks. Okay. <laughs> I feel better about that
2: now. I was, yeah, I was like rock
1: hunting. I was almost. I have an archaeological site, actually. Really? I do.
2: That's awesome. Nice.
1: An official site. Yep.
2: Now, where is that at?
1: Yeah, uh, Just uh, west of Joplin, Missouri on the old Route 66 Zoo, on, on the old Route 66, okay. on the state line road, Kansas and Missouri is a state line road.
0: Yeah. Any dinosaur fossils ever been Absolutely.
1: Done? Man, really?
2: uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that'd be cool.
0: Been doing it for 20 years.
2: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Rock been, Hunter. Yeah. Rock I'm glad Hunter. I actually asked, asked that question yeah. now. Because that's, right. I, was, I was a little afraid at first. <laughs> I was like, okay, this <laughs> done went south. But I'm glad, I'm glad we've done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next question. Warm leftover food or cold leftover food? It depends on what it is, but I'll say warm.
2: I'm a cold guy myself.
0: I must say, it depends on, for me, like, today, I had some really good leftover Mexican chicken nachos, Yeah, and it was really good cold. (laughs) Like, really good. (laughs) Now, back whenever I was in college, I would do cold pizza. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But since I've been in my 30s,
2: can't do it. Like, cannot do it. I hate to say why I'm so accustomed to uh, cold food. Uh, it's more along the lines of when I was in my addiction, like, dude, because I didn't have power in some some areas. Yeah, that's know? Right. It'd just be like, all right, well, that's cold. I mean, I'm gonna eat it like that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I just went with it. And that's so right. now I, I, I stay stuck there a little bit whenever yeah. I'm pulling stuff out of the fridge. I'm like, I eat that cold, you know? So <laughs>
1: and some people are like, no, and it's like, mm. dude, you
2: have I love no this idea
0: way. what I've eaten cold <laughs> before. <so. laughs> All uh, right, Stacey, what is the uh, worst compliment that you've ever gotten? The worst compliment? The worst compliment. That's tough.
1: Probably that I love too much.
0: That is, is that bad or is that good?
1: Well, it depends on who you ask.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: It's kind of like leadership. Some view leading through love as, as a weakness. Some view it as a strength. I believe it all depends on who you're leading.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, and we have a big long list, but we're gonna wrap it up with this one. This is gonna be the last one. What is your weirdest phobia?
1: Weirdest phobia.
2: Weirdest phobia. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm a phobia. A what, germ? A germ, like this dude washes his hands probably 40 times. <laughs> And well, just, just, and I don't blame him for it. But, but just geez. to give you a, a, a,
0: a, a, just an idea, like if we go stay at a hotel, I'd take my own pillow, my own rags, my own towels. If I could take my own bedspread, I probably would. But. uh yeah, like that's that's my that, that's that's my weird phobia. You should
2: do the room up like Dexter, all plastic, and just <laughs> just roll around. In there a little...
1: <laughs> My phobia, I mean, it, it's more like a uh, being unorganized. You know what I mean? Either yeah. either that or waking up and having lost everything. That, that's the thing that I worry about the most. That I'm like, even after being clean a long, long time, I still have that worry or that that um, fear, inner fear. You
2: know? I bet a lot of people can relate to that though i'm actually dealing with that right now uh and and since you know we've talked about that so due to this knee surgery i'm about to have i'm about to be off for like six weeks Mm -hmm. and no paycheck for six weeks Mm -hmm. i have literally gone through this whole freak out stage in my head and i'm just like i'm about to lose everything i got everything i have right now it's about to Mm -hmm. be gone. so and you know for somebody after you built this stuff up over time you Mm -hmm. know after god's allowed you to you know obtain these things you're just like it's just just be going just like that. And so yeah, it's
1: once you've woken up, once you've woken up and, and have lost it all, yeah, it's it's something that sticks with you. And I, I talk about that often. You know, my, my wife's like, <clears throat> you should have more faith than anybody. Why do you worry? You know, and it's like I think it comes from Past. maybe like even trauma from
2: from the addiction. Yeah, man, i never thought about that. I reckon because I've never experienced. Well, I tell that. you what, God speaks, doesn't he? In, in moments because I couldn't identify why I've had such an issue with this whole like I'm going to lose everything thing and that just really speaks volume it's a trauma it's a trauma response so that watch that quarter you going to make a lot of our listeners mad with hitting
0: that cord. you're gonna make Ryan mad <laughs> well Stacy I think our listeners got a, a good little bit of feel for you on that so let's go ahead and move on into the to your story but before we start unpacking the backpack, uh, like all great stories and great books, they all have a beginning. What does the beginning of Stacy's book look like? What is chapter one for you? what What would chapter one be called? Change, change. I like that. I like that a lot. Well Stacy, as we go on and get into your story, Start walking us through. What, tell the listeners what what was your addiction what What was your go to? For me, I was a porn and sex addict. Drew, he kind of you kind of dabbled in a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah, I was a, a, a an addict of all trades, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> right. So, so what was what was your go to, Stacy?
1: So, so I started at a very young age, uh, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, and then it. Escalated pretty quickly to weed, marijuana, uh, all through junior high. Um, In high school, keg parties, float trips, a little bit of cocaine, shooting up cocaine, and then on to meth. I had a real long battle with alcohol and bars and things like that, DUIs. Um, But my my drug of choice uh, had a really bad battle in Memphis of crack cocaine in the the 80s. And uh, my family shipped me back to Missouri to get me away from the crack, because I was going to die. And um, went back to the meth, had a lot, of, a lot of friends that had meth labs, and I was really just a full-blown meth junkie. So um, was
0: the meth scene pretty heavy back in Missouri? Oh, yeah. Was it?
1: Yeah. I consider myself one of the original tweakers back there. <laughs> yeah. A lot of
0: my friends could attest to that. There, there's some really cool stories. Um, you know, well, I hope yeah. we will get into some some of those stories. I, I want to hear them. So it's, it's kind of uh, different because the mess thing really didn't hit here in Missus s- uh,
2: uh, central Mississippi until early 2000. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's kind of interesting that it was that far back mm-hmm. in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Missouri is just not one of those states that you would uh pin yeah. to that like you know you just well okay. yeah you wouldn't
2: really think yeah
1: I mean it was saturated uh, when if when I first started using math it was um, what they called crank. It was it was an old. A lot of it came from California, different things like that. But it just escalated and, and got more popular and more popular. And pretty soon, I mean, it was the whole area was just was just um, ravaged by it. So, man, mm-hmm.
0: kind of like what we're dealing with here now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, Stacy, go ahead and talk us through childhood. Take us back before you got sent back to <clears throat> to Missouri. Talk about you know your childhood and what led you to mm-hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm getting involved with the cigarettes early on and yeah. all that. Okay.
1: Uh So my, my mom, uh, I was born in Carthage, Missouri, up by, up on the other side of Branson, Missouri, up by Springfield. My dad was a very successful car dealer. My mom was a registered nurse anesthetist. And uh, they were really, you know, we had a nice home, things like that. Uh, they loved me very much. There was never a lack of love. Uh, there was never a lack of teaching. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember ever remember a time in my life where I didn't know right from wrong, because my mom was really good with a switch and a belt, and uh, <laughs> and she she taught me she taught me right from wrong. Because when I was like six years old, seven years old, when I first started smoking cigarettes, I was peeping around the tree. Right. And so when I teach on addiction, I, I tell people, you know, if you're peeping or sneaking, it, it's yeah. wrong, right? So anyway, I started smoking cigarettes. Um, my friends, I had a really good friend in school. I lived in, in a little town called Dermot, Arkansas. My mom moved uh, to Paris, Texas, and then Benton, Arkansas, and then we lived in, ended up in a little town called Dermot, Arkansas, on the other side of Greenville. Okay. And there's nothing but cotton fields. Uh, cotton fields, the levee, and the Mississippi River. That's all there is. <laughs> and I had a friend in in, uh, in elementary school, and we played basketball together and his dad had a 2000 acre cotton farm and so it was probably about three miles outside of town and i loved going there i wanted to go there every weekend i mean mama mama please you know can i go can i go and uh, she would let me go and they had you know i hoed cotton stomp cotton chop cotton coon hunted you know ran trot lines everything anything you can think of country shooting shotgun i mean all that kind of stuff And, um, but the main reason I liked going there was because I could smoke and I could drink. (laughs) And no one would know. You know, you go out to the barn, you're out in the middle of a cotton field, no one cares if you're smoking a cigarette, you know, or or no one even knows. And um, I ended up making really good friends with their farm hands, and their farm hands were really poor. I mean, they lived in a house that was on blocks. Right. And that's who I like being around. They had nine kids and they had kids. And we would sit around on Sundays and watch wrestling. And before you know it, they're fighting over coon dogs, you know, and things like that. And uh, but that was where I wanted to be. And uh, so on up to um, we ended up moving to a town called West Monroe, Louisiana.
0: West Monroe.
1: I went to Bowley Junior High and uh, that was the biggest school I'd ever been in. Uh, before I graduated, I actually changed schools 12 times. Wow. wow. Yeah, and, and so I went to Bowley. Uh, first thing I always did when I moved to a new town was find out who had the weed, because uh, that was my, I had to have the weed. Every, every, All through my addiction, I always had to have a supply of weed. And um, stayed in Bowley, uh, in West Monroe for a while, and then we moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, in the eighth and ninth grade, I'm um, riding around on my mongoose bike uh, with a bag of weed, big bag of weed. You know, going to school, everything looked okay. Um, But I was going to Metallica concerts and, and, uh, you know, (laughs) drinking beer with
0: my friends on the weekends, you know, and things like that. Um, Boy, down here in the South, you committed about uh, six of the Ten Commandments right there, huh? I did, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: The only thing I actually knew at that time about God was was Vacation Bible School. Yeah. Yeah, And... um, um, I knew Moses and in the Ark and you know Jonah and all that, but I had no idea anything about who the who Jesus was. You know what the Bible
0: was. No one ever, no one ever explained that to me. Um, well, you know, I want, I want to stop right there. For it, all these interviews that we've done, Drew, it never ceases to amaze me at that when people go back and start talking about their childhood, they always talk about I was still making good grades in school.
2: Yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: If you go back and you listen to every single to one all of these episodes. Every person we talked to has said that the mm-hmm. exact same thing. It's like this common denominator among people in recovery. Okay. Yeah. it's just that that blows my mind. But anyway, so so you've gone and you found the the person with the weed in school, and you're you're going about your business on this bicycle. And what, what what's next on that? Say, so my mom, you know, so back up just a little bit so
1: you can understand what happened there. When I was two years old, my dad used to, he drank a lot, and he, would, he was a great provider, loved us, I mean, great dad, one of the greatest men I've ever known in my whole entire life, you know, my hero. But back then, uh, about two or three nights a week, he would go to the bar after work and arm wrestle and do all these things. And he would come home and pretty violent sometimes. And uh, he ended up breaking my mom's arm in a fight one night. And so when I'm two years old, my mom got up and took me and my brother and moved away. One of my first memories is just chaos in the other room. And my brother had me holding up. And they were arguing, fighting, different things. I don't remember any words or anything like that. But um, that was my first memory is them fighting and things. So my mom moved away. So they took me away from my dad. right? And so the older I got, the more I could go to my grandparents house down in North Arkansas and I could and he would come and see me and different things like that so in the ninth grade I went to visit him from Tulsa which is about an hour from Joplin and he came in my room that night and he said you're never going back so once again I lost all my friends that's what really bothered me about moving I really didn't mind starting schools and learning how to find my way around I didn't want to I've lost my friends so many times my heart was like broken because I actually loved my friends and it was uh, it was you know not until I got clean that I realized all these things. When I was down in Arkansas when I was a kid and a, a young boy, I witnessed a lot of racism. I witnessed a lot of things that I didn't even realize what I was witnessing at the time. Mm-hmm. But when I got clean and I started going back and like looking back at my life and celebrate recovery and the step studies and and uh, writing my testimony, I'm like, what were those people doing and why were they doing it? And I wrote about it, you know, and and um, I didn't understand. But what it did and Throughout life, once I got clean and found Jesus and found Christ, um, uh, it made me love them even more. Right. It it made it made me have a deeper love in my heart. Not not a uh, not hate. the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's so it turned out to be really cool. And so they shipped me to my dad's. I had a stepmom and a, and a stepbrother, and they were good people too. They really didn't want you. I could tell they really didn't weren't too fond of me being there. Uh, but most of the time, I was running with my friends. You know. Uh, you know going to keg parties at that point it was pantera concerts and it was
0: Pantera.
1: Um, yeah it was it was uh you know dime bag daryl and things like that and anyway i had a lot of fun man we would go on float trips we would we would go camping at the campgrounds for the weekends um you know we just had i just had a great time i grew up out by a creek a place called grand falls and it's a really cool creek and i didn't realize how good i had it um but I, when i go back there there was a big pool called reddings mill i mean i mean this beautiful yes. beautiful area where i grew up at and ended up making a lot of friends I knew thousands of people in Missouri and um, uh, had a relationship uh, in high school was really in love for the first time like really in love and um, uh, she ended up cheating on me and with one of my best friends and um, and I was devastated I'm like 18 years old 19 you know And I was in love I mean I this was the woman I was I was I was crazy in love and um, um, I realized in the Celebrate Recovery Step Study 20 years later that it was that relationship breakup that Sent me to a place where I didn't care about myself anymore. I I, I thought I was ugly. I thought no one would ever love me again. Um, I I just thought I was. There was something wrong with me, and so it pushed me into the bars. I had a friend, and he said, "Hey, I can make you forget all about that." And and he started taking me to the bars, you know, spandex and you know, heavy metal music and parties all night long, and you know, all those things. And and and, you know, I just I just you know found this new world, but really I was masking the pain. The whole thing was masking the pain, and um, I ended up with 4D U over about a four or five year period lost my license from 96 to 206 Um, and my family was trying to get me out of Joplin because I got hooked on meth real bad and they sent me to Memphis and i came here with my girlfriend and just gonna smoke weed now we're, we're only we're only gonna smoke weed right and um that never works but yeah anyway uh, um
2: we're just gonna uh, knock it down
1: to one way yeah we're just gonna smoke weed well i ran out of weed i was in midtown memphis uh, i realized i didn't have enough cops in memphis i could pretty much do whatever i wanted and um i was at a place called printer's alley bar in the middle of memphis this little shotgun bar that's where i found my weed again and um <laughs> And um, uh, I got hooked on crack cocaine. They ran out of weed, and they're like, we don't have any weed, but we have a rock. And I'm like, well, what's a rock? And I had done cocaine, but I've never done crack cocaine. And uh, I tried that, and it was about a two-year um, crazy circus of my life. I, I was uh, I, I would pawn my car to the crack dealer and steal it back from him. I mean, I was crazy. I, I, I was bold. I was in a place called Dixie Homes, which right. is downtown Memphis, uh, really really dangerous places. And uh, it got really it got so bad. After about a year and a half, my mom shipped me back to Missouri. At that point, point. and at that time, I went back to the to the meth lab, back to the my you know my, my drug um, my friends that used and and dealt drugs, and that's the only that's the only thing I knew. I didn't know any I didn't know there was another life out there. I didn't know God or anything like that right. at that time. And so, so
0: there wasn't no weed in Missouri, it was just a myth.
1: <clears throat> oh, there was weed. Uh, <laughs> they had lots of weed, but but it was the meth was my became my drug of choice. Right. And so whenever you have a drug of choice, you probably know this, but all your money has to go towards that.
2: Yeah, you pretty much pass up everything else. Right, right. Everything else and that's obsolete. Yeah. I can that's do right. this because this is what I want to do. Right. I enjoy this right. part of it. Yeah. I'm
1: not gonna spend fifty bucks on alcohol. I've gotta yeah. have I mean, you know, I've gotta have this.
2: But if I spend the money on this I'm not going to have that. That's right. So mm-hmm. it's funny because you weigh your odds there, mm-hmm. but if you need I'm gas right. in the car, you're like, I don't, no gas. Yes. We're going <laughs> to get that. That's what we need. Try. You know, That's
0: right. Exactly right. I was uh, caught a clip of another recovery podcast, and they were talking to a guy who was in Atlanta, and was take, he was making the drive to a, some well-known place in Atlanta to, to buy some drugs. Right. And his car broke down on the way he hitchhiked from where he was to that place. I think they call it the bluff, I think. Yep. And and he just hitchhiked and then stayed there for like six months, openly buying and using heroin. Like, just, and just stayed there. Cars on the side of the road. Cars on the the road. Probably towed by
2: that point. Didn't care. He just stayed there. So mm-hmm. it's, we, we, when it grabs you, it grabs you. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it, it, there's no, it's like a wrestling match mm-hmm. a little bit, but you want to lose. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it mm-hmm. like that, but literally in that wrestling match, you're just like, uh, you broke my arm. Yeah, I'm coming back. Okay. <laughs> you know, so.
0: Well, so you're back in Missouri, you're back into the to that, that mess scene. Where did that take you? Where, where did that take your mm-hmm. story like? Mm-hmm. I kind of sense maybe a rock bottom
1: coming. Yeah. So when I went back, my dad actually passed away when I was in jail. So I had to say goodbye to my dad with an orange jumpsuit and and shackled. Um, Mm -hmm. They put me back in the city jail for two weeks, and I grieved by myself in a a cell, by myself in a a small cell for two weeks. I was waiting to go to rehab. Um, They never found a bed, so they let me back out after like 30 days. And uh, so where do I go? I go back to the bad realm, back back to the, the only thing I knew, because I you know either the, either the bar, the meth lab, or the
2: dope track. I mean that's where you go for survival. And um, I mean imagine dealing with all that pain, mm-hmm. you know, in that one instance, that you're stuck yeah. in a room by yourself. Yeah. Your, your thoughts are still here. Uh, like I felt like someone
1: reached down my throat and just ripped my soul out. Because my dad was my best friend. Towards the end, he would come and find me no matter where I was and tell me he loved me and that he believed in me. And um, I was in bad shape. I mean, I was riding around like 33 years old, riding around on a bicycle, you know, messed up. And um, I'm sure his heart was broken, but he always told me, he said, yeah, I know you're gonna be okay. And um, so it, it, it escalated pretty quickly at that point. My mom had enabled me since I was a young kid. When I was a young kid in a dermot, there was $40 laying on the counter every morning. Just that was her way of helping, right? But that could buy me my weed, my cigarettes, and whatever else I I want, right? And so it's really amazing. (laughs) My mom, she was very smart. She was very successful. And she married a man that was a dentist, and and they uh, went to Saudi Arabia for 12 years. They came back, and um, they lived in Memphis. And they were trying to figure out what to do with me because they cared about me, and they loved me, and they wanted to help me, right? And so they went to a meeting in downtown Memphis, and they got lost, and they ended up at another meeting. And that night, all the people in the meeting stopped the meeting, and they all told their testimony around the room that night. And my mom called me the next day, and she said, Stacey, I can't help you anymore. She said, until you get your life straight. That's a mother's love. Mothers never say never. They they, they say, until you get your life straight. So she quit sending me money. At that point, she was sending me $100 bills. I was living in the woods. I was going down the railroad tracks. I was staying in abandoned houses. I would go through the woods to meth lab to meth lab. uh, And I learned how to, when she cut me off, I had a habit. And I had no way to feed the habit at this point, and so I started stealing things. And I, and I, I knew when shift change was at the police department. I mean, I, I was—I knew I was really organized, and I was really planned out, and I thought ahead, and I did all those things. Now I use those skills in in God's kingdom, but back then I was for for a drug addict. I had figured out, mastered darkness. I had mastered, I wouldn't even come out during the daytime. I would stay out, Uh, I would come out at night. I was pillaging, tweaking, dumpster diving. I knew where all these great, I, I mean, I had this existence and I was really like, I had a lot. Of money and a lot of drugs for that lifestyle, right? I didn't even have to go to work, and I'm riding around on a bicycle, and I and I had mastered this life. And, and what I learned through all of that is, um, if you don't get the red flags, uh, God will abandon you, and He'll say, "Here's all, here's all you want. You can yeah. have all the meth you want, and then you'll self-destruct." So, rock bottom. My first rock bottom was um, I was sitting in the woods north north of Joplin, Missouri. I still do the like to show you the log. It's still there. And um, I sat on that log that day. My feet were bleeding. I'd probably been walking about 10 miles. I'd burn every bridge. I was hungry. I was filthy dirty. My arms had bruises from Matthews. From, uh, and I just cried, weeping, like really weeping. And I said, God, if you're up there, if you're there, whatever you are, I need you because I want to die. I don't want to go on anymore, and I believe he reached down and touched me that day. And um, oh, wasn't man. wasn't long. I had a court case, man,
2: and I went really to court. So much, yeah. so much, like
1: yeah. I went to court. So I went to court in my hooded sweatshirt with my backpack, <laughs> and I actually did drugs in the parking lot of the courthouse. And I was supposed to get five years of uh, probation that day if I would sign a paper saying I would never come back to Missouri ever. And uh, the judge had a different plan for me that day. That day, I got six years in the Department of Correction that day. And um, went to prison, you know, first job in prison was stirring oatmeal with a boat paddle. Uh, that was my first job in prison. And in that prison, everywhere I looked in that prison, there was always a Bible laying there. And uh, it's funny because it was a Gideon's Bible. And last week I spoke i I've, I've spoke at seven of their pastor appreciation dinners. Uh, and I get to tell my testimony to the Gideons. And I tell the story about the Bible being in my prison cell. And um, for the first time in my life, I read the Bible. And I'm like, Hey, I've got six years, nothing else to do. Might as well read the Bible. I never made it past the second chapter, right? right? I love the creation story. And when I got into the New Testament, um, I would I literally, run back home and at that time home was my cell right and I would I would get off at like nine in the morning and I would run back to my cell and I would start reading because I I got in the New Testament I'm reading about Jesus and I'm like this is I mean this is amazing I didn't know this stuff was in here and if this is true then this is what I need because my way is not working I mean and I gave my life to Christ in that prison Um, the funny thing is too I gave they put me leading a group called turning point 20 years ago and for the past five years i was leading an organization called yeah, turning point that's so,
2: awesome. so they yeah. turning point they uh send out <clears throat> books actually i think now
1: well, that's a different turning point okay there's a okay. few different turning points Yep. Yeah. yeah and so uh came to memphis on a greyhound bus in 2001 with nothing but a backpack in that backpack i had a softcover bible that the, uh, someone in jail had given me because they felt sorry for me two pendants. One was Jesus hanging on the cross. One was a little hologram, probably worth a dollar fifty. To me, they're worth a million dollars because I found them in the alleys when I was looking for something to trade for drugs. But God was speaking to me back then, and they're my prized possession in my office right now, those two little pendants. Right. Um, and uh, two changes of clothes I got out of Salvation Army parking lot. That's all I had to my name yeah. in 2001 when I came to Memphis. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep.
0: That probably didn't even even fill up the backpack it just well,
1: it just depends on what's in your backpack actually
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but for the first time in my life when in the first time in my life the only thing that was different i had relapsed many times i went to programs my parents tried acupuncture they tried everything but the only difference was this time uh, i had given my life to christ and i had surrendered and i wasn't using it anymore that, that that's that's the two things uh that are the game changers uh
2: yeah, yeah. So in giving your life to Christ, I imagine what changed was the view, you know, uh, the perspective change. And when mm-hmm. the perspective changes, mm-hmm. the uh values and beliefs start to change. Right. Values and beliefs start to change, then actions and behaviors start to fly. You know, it goes mm-hmm. from being so drawn into I'm gonna die anyway, mm-hmm. to I've got something to live for that you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you when your view starts to say, mm-hmm. I have purpose, I have meaning you know, your value and the belief says, well, if I have purpose, I have meaning. Other people have purpose and meaning, so I can help them mm-hmm. get what I've got. And all of a sudden, you start to disciple people, and your actions mm-hmm. are nothing like what you what you yeah. saw before. The mirror mm-hmm. effect has changed at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's amazing, man. That's, yeah. that's
1: whenever. Um, what I learned is that, you know, whenever you quit putting in the poison, Yeah. And God's spirit permeates your being. Uh, you know, his His spirit comes in and takes permanent residence in your body. That, that's what I believe. And he leads me and guides me into this life. It's like a supernatural. It's kind of like an Indiana Jones adventure. I mean, it's awesome. It, it's the best thing ever. Better than any high I've ever had. And uh, it comes through through relationship with Christ and being fully surrendered. Yeah. Um,
2: you know. And I think
0: that, that kind of... I hear that so much as this. My life changed when I surrendered. Like, I think that's that's where the power is and that Mm -hmm. transformation is when we finally get to the point where we surrender Uh, what is that uh, addiction you only win by surrender.
1: It's this is the only battle that that you, that you win when you surrender. You quit. You win. <laughs> and there's no middle ground. Yeah. You can't smoke weed on the weekends. You can't get drunk on New Year's Eve. I mean, you have to surrender. And and I and I teach that at uh, Vertava Health, uh, where I'm uh, the area vice president of operations now. We have we've had five thousand people come through the program, and and I teach them these these principles and many of them that are in there and many of them that I spoke about today. But um, the message doesn't change and uh, you, you have to surrender and so that mindset is I'm never going to put chemicals in my body again because yep. you know you, you God tells us you can have everything I created beautiful I can have, you can have everything in this world and, and, and everything beautiful but you can't touch your tree and so we all have your tree and those two are never going to coexist you're never going to have everything God has for you and touch your tree it's not ever going to happen doesn't matter how good looking you are how rich you are how smart you are it doesn't matter yeah there's only one way to win and surrender. And I see people you know come back a few times that may, may, they may come in and they may relapse and whether its celebrate recovery, Vertava or, or, or wherever it may be. The jail, uh, all the places that I encounter these people uh, like myself, um, the message is the same. You, you can go back and try it again, but if you don't surrender, you're going to get jacked up. I mean, but I believe it's because God wants to use you. God, God, and it's an honor. It's like God wants to use you, and he's not going to quit until you surrender.
2: Exactly.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, yep. and a part of that <clears throat> is the whole mindset of I can't be in my will. That's right. My will is what led me to my seat inside of a recurring meeting. That's right. I can't continue down the path of my will and expect change. That's right. And that's why we got step three. I have to wake up every morning Mm -hmm. and I've got to live inside God's will, not mine. And I think that's just, when I look back at all the steps, yeah, I think all the steps are equally important. But when I lay them out, to me, my favorite and most important one is step number three. I've got to be in his will, not mine.
1: It's an amazing revelation to realize it's his plan. It's not mine. Yeah. It, it's his plan. It's not your plan. You know what I mean? And I, when you tell people that, they're like, it's like, I don't,
0: I don't understand.
1: It's well, kind of like when you tell them you're being safe. You're being uh, safe from yourself. They're like, or, or when I tell them, <laughs> when I, te- when I tell them in the jail, like I go into the jail and I say, you're not being punished. They're like ready to fight. You know what I mean? They're like, what are you talking about? I'm not being punished. I'm telling you you're not being
2: punished. You're yeah. being saved. Yeah. So. Well, so you're being prepared, you are prepped actually right. for a battle for something else, sanctified, yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, Stacy, I know
0: uh, you have a, a, a big part in sub recovery. Uh, was was that what really kind of helped you, like that click moment of where everything kind of just? fill the place and was was that what it did it for you? Was sober recovery or
1: what, um,
0: was, what was it that actually helped you with that?
1: So the, the, the second rock bottom, the first rock bottom was on the log. The second rock bottom was when I was in, in prison for 14 months and no one came to visit me. And I laid every night with my Bible on my chest saying, God, if you could use me, this would be great. You know, And, and I was learning about God. I didn't have anybody teach me, really. I was learning by myself by reading and, yeah. and things. And so then when I got out and I came, um, I didn't go to church for like six years. I was watching T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer. And I, I would watch it every night all night long. But I wasn't going to church. But I was staying clean, reading my Bible, doing all those things. But I was saturating myself with the Word, right? And... Um, so I got a job at Sharp Electronics. I didn't think anybody would give me a job uh, in 2001 and I uh, worked there for 11 years. And I met a lady named Stephanie, which is my wife. She's my angel. And uh, she's my accountability partner. She holds me accountable, <laughs> watches, makes sure I'm on, on point. And uh, anyway, I started going to church and uh, setting up, and we ended up going to a big church. It had about 1,300 people in it. And I went to my missions pastor, his name is Jim May, and um, uh, he was an all, ex-Harley's uh, Hells Angel, and really cool guy. And I, and I said, hey, I, I've got this bad pass, and I just want to serve somewhere. And I'll never forget, he pointed, he said, you need to go to Celebrate Recovery. He said, said, they need all the help they can get down there. And I went down there. Within about a month and a half or two months, I was on a plane flying to Saddleback. And I went to a summit. And I've been in love with Celebrate Recovery ever since. But one of the key things about Celebrate Recovery is God used Celebrate Recovery to lead me to everything that I do. Uh, I was Man of the Year in 2017 in Horn Lake, a city I don't even live in. Uh, I, I was oh, wow. I was nominated for Man of the Year in South Haven uh, for my work with the Hope Center, the the 501. Um, when I went to, to meet the county supervisors to talk about what we can do to help the kids in the neighbor in the area, uh, I was telling them about Celebrate Recovery. It ended up now I have a community center, which is a Memphis Grizzlies affiliate, and all those things. Yeah, The job that I have now started out with me being a recovery coach. Uh, I did get to take care of my mom uh, for 14 months. I got to to change diapers and feed her for 14 months. And she lived with me. My stepdad actually gave me a ride to work for for six years. And he's got to live with me too for another, after she passed, he got to stay with me. And, um, but, um, Celebrate recovery. So we'd set up chairs, tear down chairs, I mean, yeah. for 10 years, right? And I'm thinking, this this is, what does this mean? I mean, it's not really significant. You know, we're doing good. Sometimes we had 100 people a night, but uh, God used that ministry, Celebrate Recovery, to lead me to everything that I do today. Even my job at Vertava Health, right. uh, they wanted to hear about Celebrate Recovery. And so I tell people, Celebrate <laughs> Recovery is like a leadership factory. It is also, if you get into God's realm and start doing the littlest things, He will lead you into His purpose. Will for your life through that ministry, and so I'm a um, big believer in celebrate recovery. I yes. uh, promote it everywhere
0: I go. This podcast is a direct result from, from celebrate, celebrate recovery. recovery.
2: Mm-hmm. Both of mm-hmm. us, actually, oh, I, mean,
0: <laughs> I, I can't say sit here and say that, uh, that it was a little part, celebrate recovery played a big part, and mm-hmm. so, uh, and I mean, like I said, we promote any and all forms of recovery all recovery paths mm-hmm. what works for you works for you whether it be jail rehab God going that's out right. meditating in the woods that's sitting right. in a sweat tent whatever it is. but for me for drew yep and for Stacy you know, to celebrate recovery. Christian 12-step program work and so uh man that's just that's awesome uh, well what I know you're you are you kind of talked about it a little bit, but what are you doing today that helps keep you sober? So, um, uh, I know we talked about it. So
1: well, well, well. well the, right the, the, the thing that I do today that helps keep me sober. So, so sharing my testimony wherever I'm asked. Um, oh. I do the community center. We do that on Saturdays. We pray. We we take the kids. Chick fil A count eyes. We dance, play basketball. But it's all about giving them a safe place to go um and then celebrate recovery i do that i take, I take celebrate recovery inside into soto county jail uh led thousands of men's to jesus in the soto county jails uh actually baptized 700 people at where i work oh, at, uh, at turning point which is now vertava health it, most people in the area know it as addiction campuses but now it is, is a new company called a new organization called vertava health and vertava means turn life and uh, th- this is the... Sorry, uh, I
2: murdered that name earlier.
1: <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's a leading It's a leading national behavioral health care system right. that focuses on substance use and mental health disorders, the co-occurring disorders. And so we've had 5,000 people come through. We have about 1,000 people a year just at our campus, just at our location in South Haven. Uh, and they're going to open up up to 400 campuses across the United States. And um, if they believe in Jesus, if, if Christianity is their thing, then they can, they can go to church. We can baptize them. We give them a Bible. If they don't believe in that, we, we do AA, we do NA, um, whatever their spirituality is, we want them to connect to that so they can get clean. Uh, but going to Celebrate Recovery every week, going to in the jail every week, um, and then working at Vertava um, gives me access to so many people and so many families. I get, I get Facebook messages and texts pretty much daily uh, for people that want, want, you know, can you help my child? And um, it's a great honor, first of all, uh, to make sure that they don't think they're child is, is a bad human being, before we start helping, and then before I start helping. And then, um, you know, it's kind of funny because it's like, why would you call the, the the liar, the junkie, and the thief, you know? right When you have your masters and all those things, why would you call me? And I ask that question when I'm teaching to the crowd and because I'm wanting them to understand, you have a gift, and the gift is rock bottom. And, and, and I call it the gift of rock bottom. To me, it's the greatest thing next to your salvation because it did it to me while I was in prison but I didn't realize it until 10 years later that it creates unconditional love in your heart and you can love people like no one else can from that day forward. And I teach them that they have that gift and I teach them that they have that character because they're in jail or because they're in recovery, that they have gifts that people with their master's degree would love to have. Because I've had people tell me I would love to have what you have. Right. And, but they have everything, you know, and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's a gift. And you can't buy it. You can't teach it. You can't earn it. You can't give it away. You have to. It only comes through pain and through your experiences with God. But it makes you love more, and it makes you love in a very special way. So
0: it's that a great gift. Kind of reminds me of a quote that I heard where addiction gives us an experience that nobody would pay for. Right.
1: Yeah. Hey, it's when it, when I was going into prison. Let me just tell you, I, I would have given you anything not to go in. Yeah. But but God taught me things in prison and protected me and did did things in in that prison that I could have never learned anywhere else, and um, and the journey of rebuilding a life is uh, you can't you, you can't you can't buy those things you know.
0: Well, Stacy, as we we wind up here, I just man sitting here listening to your story, that is where the hope is. To go from a kid in Missouri starting out getting addicted with cigarettes, going down through your journey you know, with getting hooked on meth, going to Memphis, West Monroe, back up to Missouri, back down, like it's just, and to wind up through all of that, you're rock bottom on the log, rock bottom in jail, and to end up in the position where you're at, that's just, it's amazing. that is amazing, and it is a sure enough miracle. And it's the biggest ray of hope that I can think of. Okay. You are a lighthouse of hope for those that are drowning in the hopelessness and in the darkness of addiction. If your story isn't a fiery example of hope and that we do recover, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and so as we close out, uh, I want to thank you for coming by and sharing. But as a way of expressing our gratitude and for you to share and be so vulnerable Uh, i want you to have an open mic you have a few moments Mm -hmm. our show is your show there's somebody out there right now that's listening that needs to hear what you have to say what would that be
1: that uh that god has a plan for your life and it's much bigger than anything you could ever imagine um, you don't have to have it all figured out. All you have to do is um, trust in Him and, and just stay clean. If you can just not use uh, right now, then, then everything will work out. Um, I learned in my life that, that if I give God what He wants, uh, He's going to give me what I want. And that, what that means is if I go to the jail on the nights I don't want to go, I don't feel like going, I'm tired and things, but I know I'm supposed to be there. And if I do that, then all the things that I ever dreamed of that I wanted, I have them. Uh, Actually, I wanted the house, I wanted the car, I wanted the Gibson Les Paul, I wanted all those things, and and guess what? I have them all. And guess what? That's what I tell the guys, I guess, where am I at? So it's Thursday night, 8.30, and I'm sitting there with inmates in the jail that I voluntarily check myself in because I know that's where God wants me to be. And so I tell people, He wants to use you and your story just like He used me because God doesn't show favoritism. But you have to surrender and He wants to lead you to people. And so you don't get to choose who He leads you to. You don't get to choose them, right? And I usually I usually tell this funny thing when I'm standing there with like 50 people, and I say, if he let me choose, I would choose a much better looking group.
2: <laughs> right?
1: And then I have to say, that's a joke, of some of them going, you know, but they're laughing. But, but, but it's true, and I'm trying to teach a lesson. I'm trying to teach you that I teach them that they have a gift, and that they're going to be more powerful because of where they've been in God's kingdom, But I'm trying to teach them that He leads you to people, places, and things, right? The same way when you're walking in the bad realm, You know, where did I go when I was homeless and I would wake up in the morning in an abandoned house? I didn't have any money. I would go to the meth lab or the dope track or the bar because I knew someone would help me survive, right? Right. And the, the good realm is the same way. If you, if you have to walk one way each way, each day, when we wake up, we have to walk one way. The good, the bad, the light, the dark God, and the devil. Whichever way you walk, the forces of that realm being people are gonna help you. Yeah. They're gonna help you either destroy your life or they're gonna help you rebuild your life. And so when you walk towards that good realm, and I tell them, to give you an example, you're in it. Because you voluntarily came to Celebrate Recovery, you voluntarily came to church today in jail, and uh, that's where you'll find God's blessings. And um, no I do know that he um, he guides our steps. And, and what I've learned is is that the Holy Spirit is alive. But what else I've learned is every word in that Bible is, is on point. Yeah. And it, it's just a game changer. Yeah. No
0: doubt. No yeah. doubt. Well, Stacy, as we wind up, uh, if somebody wants you to come speak at their recovery group, or maybe they want you to come and share your story on their recovery podcast— what is a great way for them to contact you? um
1: just email Stacy 67 at gmail
0: all right we'll put that on the uh, in the show notes and probably on the bottom of the screen if we can figure that out uh, and guys <laughs> I'm gonna go and tell you find this man on Facebook he puts out some of the most awesome stuff that I've ever really liked you motivate like reading your stuff your facebook post every day like it it motivates me i I love it and so and also you can get his book backpack to the burbs you can get that on amazon we're going to put that link in the show notes as well uh it's a great read um excited to be able to sit down and read it and also guys if you're watching this on youtube don't forget to like this and subscribe help us to reach more people And with that, guys, uh, that's all we got for today. We love y'all and remember to be unashamed. Thanks, guys. Hey, Recovery Fam. Thanks for watching another episode of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. And if today's episode has somehow helped you out, or maybe it's encouraged you to get into recovery, consider subscribing to our channel, like this video. You can even give us a comment.
2: Yeah. What? What was I supposed to say? I, supposed to say? I like the social media. Oh, I was getting on there and liking it. See?
0: Guys, you can find us on all social media at Unashamed Recovery.